Hey, welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. Um, look, this week we're going to uh, talk a little bit about an anthology that comes out of Portage and Maine, uh, a Canadian publisher out of their high water press uh, imprint, which, uh, as I understand it, is focused on um, uh, works about indigenous people in Canada. Um, uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Tara Audibert. Uh Tara, how you doing? Uh, great to talk to you. Hi, it's great to be talking to you too. Yeah, where <laughs> are you? Where, where, where am I call, call, Where am I talking uh, to you from? I'm in, actually in a place called Sunny Corner, New Brunswick. All right, uh, it's near closer to Miramichi, I guess. So probably people in New Brunswick don't even know where okay. where this corner is. But yeah, so I'm in a very rural part of New Brunswick, which is great because I get to live like kind of right in the woods. Okay. All right. All right. Well, um, I, I mean, I'm a city boy myself, but uh, occasionally I sort of venture forth into. The but um, anyway, great to talk to you. So look, let's talk about your role in this book. You're an illustrator. Um, uh, I, I, in particular, I just see the first story that I read. Now I'm getting accused. Which one was I talking about here? Um, well, tell us the stories that you worked on. I'm. Oh, okay. The first one, we remember it. We remember it. Yeah. Yes. So. Um, I was an illustrator on this one. It was written by Brandon Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the story about um, the incident uh, in Rastigouche. And it was something that I didn't even, you know, I actually live very close to Rastigouche. Um, Brandon's from there. We've been uh, friends and known each other for probably about 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to school together. We went to animation school together. And he contacted me with this story and said, you know, I, I really, we had worked together before, um, him as a writer and myself as an illustrator on several comics. Uh-huh. And, uh, he was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm working on this project, wondering if you might be interested and sent me the script. And it's something that I, um, that's kind of like what I am interested in doing is, uh, using digital media to educate people in a, in an entertaining way, I guess. And uh, so he kind of knew that. So he sent me this script. And honestly, like, I had no idea about the incident, this incident in Rastigouche, um, which was it's, it's essentially uh, the disagreements about fishing rights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, just kind of the, the lengths that the government went to to prevent this one small community and just a very small number of fishermen to prevent them from fishing. And now, it was, Gush, the, uh, the um, uh, indigenous name of this community, this is a territory. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, for that community, they had a certain – they are, have treaties and they're allowed to fish and um, – uh, essentially what happened, um, you can watch it. The incident in Rastigouche is actually a name of a film by Alanis Ombonswin, um, that she, she did the whole, uh, documentary about it. It's so well, um, produced and really like covers everything. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yes, this is incident. This is incident at, uh, Rastigouche is a documentary film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what the comic is based on this story and Brandon, um, but Brandon created a story that is, uh, about a fictional, uh, characters that are involved in this true story. So he asked me to work on it and honestly, like when he sent me the script, I had no idea about, um, the lengths that the government had gone to bringing in, like, military, um, helicopters, uh, a crazy amount of police force, you know, like, uh, coming in with, uh, you know, just like, just military grade 
And it was just insane to me. And even, um, so through his script, I read it and I was just like reading it and I do a lot of comics and they're like, a lot of them are fictional, but based on, and I was just kind of like, is this true? And I was just kind of read, read it and I was just like, what? And then I had to kind of like go back and I'm like, wait a minute, like, is this a true story? And he was like, yes, it's true. And I was like, oh my God, I was, I was kind of crying and, um, you know, it was something that just happened in the eighties mm-hmm. and it's so recent that it's something that I just never, like, I didn't even know that this was happening. It's happening yeah. very close to me. Like this, uh, is only like about 40 minutes from where I live. Wow. Wow. And it's something that I did, had no idea that it had happened. Um, I don't think a lot of people do, didn't, uh, don't know that it happened. And I think it is very important to, uh, you know, educate people. This isn't something that's way in the past. Yeah. It's something so recent and so insane that it's just, um, you know, I think it's something that people need to know and need to, to make sure it doesn't happen again. And yeah, I know. And, and, and for, for our listeners, um, I mean, it, it, this small community, um, which obviously, uh, indigenous people fishing rights that, I mean, I don't know how long, uh, they have been fishing on this. This land, well, but this is, they have been fishing here since before anyone and before anybody else showed up. <laughs> uh, and and uh, yet, huge industrial uh, fishing was going on further out in the ocean, all around. But yet, the Canadian government decided they wanted to completely suppress. I mean, even though this is yes. traditional to their way of life. Yes, and yeah. then, and if I may add, like. Some of the other stories in here, the community reach a point where they're fed up. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, I think that that's a, the, another beautiful part of this story is that they said no. They yeah. all said no. And they said, get out of here. This is, you're not even allowed on here. And to me, um, the idea of this as well, it is so empowering to other communities. I think we do have the right to say no. We can say no, and and um, I just think that that you know, it, you know, even in this story, it's just awesome, and kind of pushing them back and just saying no, like that, ah, you know, just it is something yeah. that was the. Uh, um, I, I was really grateful to be a part of that story for sure, and to to present that and kind of an intent. And I know it's a it's a very serious story, and one of the reasons that um, Brandon and I work really well together is within Native communities, even when we're telling serious stories, there's always um, an, a, like a little bit of humor, I guess, to it. And if anybody has ever been to any First Nation communities or Aboriginal communities, the one thing that you're going to find in common everywhere is you're going to be laughing. You're always going to kind of laugh. Thing. Uh, they may be making fun of you sometimes, but that's okay because you're going to be a part of it. <laughs> but you're always, there's always going to be jokes and even within some, something serious, there's going to be something and add and, you know, some sort of uh, humor in it. And I like to put that in. So this is a very, very serious story, but I mean, if you want to reach, uh, kids, like kids don't, you don't want to read something like that's so serious all the time, especially sure. in the form of comics. And I yeah. think the way to educate um, all ages of people is to have something that is going to be educational, but also entertaining. So try to add little bits of humor in there that, um, you know, come from, from our culture. Uh, even though this is very, very serious, there's still going to be the, like these little, these little funny parts that you can maybe have a little chuckle in it and relieve some of that stress as you're, making your way through the story. So I hope that that's in there, evident yeah. in there. 
And, but I will say the, uh, the the educational part of it is really useful. I mean, what, each one of the stories is just to, uh, to let uh, our listeners know. Each one of the stories, uh, they open with, you know, a little essay by the writer that, to give some context. Uh, but I also really appreciated the sort of timeline of usual – of usually um, one broken promise treaty reversal uh, after another uh, of, you know, dishonest um, uh, dealings with uh, yes. Native people yeah. in Canada. So, I mean, it's useful in that in terms of um, it, it's a little depressing, but it's also useful to, to give you an entry into the story because uh, as familiar as these stories are, what's great about them also is that they have some uh, specificity to it. Yes, for sure. For sure. sure. So, look, uh, uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and 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 uh, your your uh, your comics background? Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, um, originally I'm an animator. I guess foremost, um, I went to animation school cool. about twenty years ago. Uh, that's actually where I met Brandon. Uh, he was in uh, going to school, and we were um, amongst two of First Nations people. That we're taking animation. Oh, very cool! You're you're a pioneer. <laughs> that was over like four classes, I think. So we were just kind of like, hey, yeah. and then after that, we just um, he contacted me later on to uh, uh, work with him on a story that he wrote uh, with the Healthy Aboriginal that was about residential schools, and that was kind of my first comic that I illustrated. And um, because it was on such a like a very um, you know delicate subject about residential schools um many it went on for many years without um getting funding for publishing because people would kind of say like yeah this is great i'll publish it but then kind of when it came down to it nobody was kind of like oh i don't know if i want to be the one responsible for you know putting this story out there and let me jump in just for people who may not understand what residential schools are and i've only learned about this in the last few years could you like just explain a little bit Yes, for sure. Yeah. But actually, it's the same thing. Um, so this hat was in, um, I believe it was like 2010. And it's the same thing. Um, I heard of, of residential schools. Um, essentially, what happened is um, back in the, oh, geez, like, uh, I want to say like when it started, like 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, It went on until uh, 1989, I believe, was when the last residential school closed. But the government had this idea to kind of uh, educate just to, instead of like um, trying to uh, bring in adults and kind of make them, uh, you know, part of the cult, part of the Canadian culture, well, we'll do it by, you know, um, taking kids and bring, bringing them into school and then schooling them as if they were non-native and, mm-hmm. Um, so, but what actually happened was they were just kind of, uh, so that at first it would be like taking kids that, uh, um, you know, maybe they're, for the main thing it was like their, if their mother died, then a father was not considered able to take care of them. So they would take the kids that way. But then it got to the point, um, in the sixties or just the, the 60s scoops are just going in and scooping up kids just and taking then, kids from their families. To, Yes, yeah, it's just crazy. It's like and stripping uh, them of of any reference to their culture. Yeah, so yeah. they were kids that were only speaking their native languages, mm-hmm. and they're taking them, and then they were forbidden to speak that language or do um, participate in any part of their culture. They wouldn't see their families. Sometimes they would go home for the summers. Sometimes they were just at these residential schools until they graduated. Yeah, and then um, you know, and then even worse, then. Uh, 
there was abuse uh, yeah. taking place at these residential schools because they were run by uh, the churches, and a lot of times it would be like nuns, priests taking care of these kids. Um, a lot of very horrible, horrible things like tantamount to like yeah. you know kind of Nazi stuff going on where yeah. they were um, using the kids as uh, kind of guinea pigs for polio um, and just kind of like giving the kids polio and then seeing oh. how long it would take them to die and then oh kind of God. Yeah. the scenes and. And then, so there's these um, mass burial sites that are just all unmarked, uh, full of kids. It's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's kind yeah. of crazy. It's probably one of the biggest secrets of Canada, I would say, because um, it's something that went on. And it's not like, hey, this was way in the past, like hundreds of years ago or something. This is like 1989. Yeah, I mean, the last wow. closed, and there's repercussions from that. So. Now there are still survivors from the residential schools that are um, in the communities. You know, they're having kids and they're having children having never had a family life and not ever knowing how to raise a kid, only knowing that uh, how adults would treat you would be with abuse yeah. or yeah. that you're not good enough or, or whatever the case, you know, yeah. whatever. Just a horrible, horrible upbringing of being taken away from your family like that's. Um, you know, this is tantamount almost to genocide of what has happened. And it's not something in the past. It's, this is now, right? Yeah. You know, so, yeah. um, for me doing that comic was ex especially, um, important because, uh, to me, same thing with kids. Like we can tell adults about this, but they're, you know, this is the world we live in. This is now. The things that are going to change, the changes that are going to happen are because kids are going to make these changes and they're going to say, yeah. that's not right. We don't ever want this to happen again. And if you don't even know about it, how can it not happen again? You know, so I think it's a big, big, very important thing to educate people about that for sure. So um, this comic did eventually get published um, by the Healthy Aboriginal. They funded it because they felt it was so important to have it out there. And um, amazingly, uh, when the truth and reconciliation, um, ceremonies were happening across Canada in 2014, um, they were, you know, kind of going through and, um, having survivors speak and, uh, they had this Bentwood box that was created to be housed in the archives of Canada. And from each province, people were placing, uh, things into the Bentwood box that were meaningful to them about the residential schools and towards reconciliation. So in Canada, we are trying to, um, you know, have reconciliation between mm -hmm. indigenous people and non-indigenous, well, basically in our government. And yeah, trying, right. yes. yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, this was something that was important across Canada. So uh, th this comic was um, part of, this uh, part of the ceremony, and they added the comic to this. Oh, to the oh great! This is the earlier work. This is the earlier work that you worked. On yes, yeah. This is not the not the yeah. this place. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, comics called Lost Innocence, and that was added to the Bentwood box, and so it's now housed in the archives of Canada. So it's very high honor oh, for me. Really good. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and really good. and obviously great powerful symbolism as well. Uh, yes. well. Let's talk about the other story that you worked on. That's in uh, this place. Yes. I also can't pronounce this, so I, I, is, um, I'm right, well, I, I can I can mispronounce it as well as you, if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, so I'm Plastakig, um, <laughs> or Maliseet. 
uh, Brandon is Mi'kmaq. So across Canada, we're, there's indigenous people, uh, and it's, we all come from all different communities. Uh, so we all have different, um, some are similar, but we all have different cultures sure. and different sure. languages as well, too. So, uh, Brandon's Mi'kmaq, even though he lives very close to me, uh, and Mi'kmaq and the, and Wellstocky are very close, um, closely connected and, uh, we're part of a treaty. Um, but I don't know. I don't yeah, okay. know. <laughs> but this and, is, this is yeah. like indigenous science fiction, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. It is, yeah. So the, the, um, that was also an amazing story to work on as well. Um, I, 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 my, my, one of my favorite things is just to think about the future and create the future and, uh, just thinking about like, um, you know, Star Trek and how all of these things like, you know, doors opening by themselves sure. or having communicators. Well, now everybody has a cell phone and doors open by themselves. Right? <laughs> yeah, it is. We are living but in the future. I to think about that. And I think that this idea of having this future that is an indigenous-led uh, future, I think it's amazing. And I, and I think that that's how we get things to change is by having this ideal, you know, maybe, oh, wow, what would it, would it, would it be like to have that? And, uh, I mean, through the story, yes, it is telling about the things of the past, which I think is great. And, mm-hmm. and, um, I think how, uh, that she put, how she put it all together, um, to fit. This is the, the writer, Chelsea Vol. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Chelsea, um, uh, I just think it was amazing how she fit this, uh, idea of the future and having, you know, wow, what could this be? And then, there's, so there's a character that travels into the past and kind of has to experience all of the things that have happened because she doesn't know. Yeah. So almost like, um, you know, if the future was, was this amazing future that was an indigenous led future and, you know, crazy, uh, technology and you can travel into the past, but you never knew racism. You never knew, um, that anyone would, would have anything against you because of, who you are and you know in the future um they consider everyone to be family and we all love each other you know imagine that never experiencing that but her having to go back into the past to experience uh this racism and experience Mm -hmm. what happened because there are newcomers coming to her planet and they're very violent and they're just wondering like why are they so violent like why are they coming back to this planet which is very peaceful and you know, we don't understand. Okay, well, they're coming back because they left because it's it was indigenous run, I guess, yeah, and yeah. they were had a fear of that because of what had happened. Mm-hmm. Because what have because what had non-indigenous people had done to indigenous people, and they fear the same thing is going to happen. But if no one knows about that, you know, I think it was a really cool idea. They had to travel back into the past to experience these yeah, things. Yeah, and I, yeah. The, this whole idea. Um, I, I'm, that's really not giving away any of the story because it's so much more involved. Uh, but I think it's just an amazing idea and same, same thing for me. I was real, I felt really lucky to be a part of this because I think it's tantamount to something like, you know, we put that idea in people's heads and that might be something that can happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, it really, uh, in some ways it gave me that feel of, uh, you know, seeing, um, Wakanda in the Black Panther part. I mean, there, there yes. were, there were, you know, really these kind of indigenous reimaginings of technology in the story, which are drawings. Yes. So it's very vivid. And, and of course, they're revisiting all of the themes of indigenous history, but in a completely different context. So it's really kind of, yes. yeah, no, yes. it's really, really, really very imaginative. It. 
So, uh, well, Tara, look, this is really great to talk with you. Um, I'm going to try to talk with some of the other creators uh, for the book, This Place, 150 Years Retold. Uh, congrats. The book is going to be published in May by Highwater yes. Press. And um, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Yes, it was. A, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you, too. Thank you. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Week. And I have the great pleasure to, to be talking with Andrew uh, Lodwick. I hope I said that right. Andrew, oh, Lodwick, Lodwick. It's, La- it's all good. Uh, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah. The, one, the, the illustrator uh, and the colorist of, uh, right, for uh, one of the stories in This Place, 150 Years uh, Retold. Um, uh, uh, the story's called Warrior Nation. Um, Andrew, uh, it's great to talk to you. Uh, like, uh, likewise. Thank you. Uh, you know, and, and I talked with a, a number of contributors, uh, to this anthology. And, and I have to tell you, really, it just, uh, grabbed me, uh, and I should tell them the book is going to be published this month, if I'm not mistaken, by Highwater Press, which specializes in works on, uh, indigenous, uh, people in Canada. And, but I was really grabbed by the, this generational story about, uh, uh, um, uh, native people's activism. Uh, in Canada, um, uh, so uh, uh, could you tell us a little bit, uh, uh, or just outline for our listeners what Warrior Nation is about? Uh, Warrior Nation is about uh, a character named, I believe it's pronounced Washashk, mm-hmm. um, and he is a young man in the uh, early 1990s, specifically 1990, um, at a time when uh, there was some uh, sort of Controversy, in, not that there aren't always controversy in upheavals, but there was particularly uh, a thing called the Meech Lake Accord around 1990, and then what's known as the Oka Crisis um, in uh, Quebec. Uh, and so he's based out of Winnipeg, and he and his mother travel to Oka to sort of bear witness to what's going on there. And in the course of it, he sort of, I think, uh, embraces sort of his background and heritage and becomes more aware of, uh, you know, the... The real world. Yeah. And that, he sort and, of and, starts out, yeah. And the larger uh, uh, indigenous people struggle. I mean, he, he sort of knows yes. about it, but he's like a teenager. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's I, I know certainly he's, at the beginning, he's wearing sort of a, a shirt that references MC Hammer, as well as yes, some other yes, yes. You know, early 90s rappers. And I think he's, he's sort of absorbed with, uh, yeah, pop culture versus yes, he, his own culture. Uh, but what, well, uh, but what is really wonderful about this story, I mean, first, of course, uh, he seems to have a... Um, there's a catalyst, uh, at least partial catalyst, for his interest in uh, in what's going on. A, a young woman that he meets, um, yes. and, and of course, his mother, uh, as I was part of earlier uh, activist rallies um, by indigenous people. That's true. Yeah. So, um, and the story plays out really, um, as do so many of these stories. Um, and I, I've said this to the other people uh, that I've interviewed. I mean, w- one of the things that really grabs me about the story, which I should say is by uh, N- Nigan James Sinclair, have I neglected to mention the, the writer's name, um, is um, this, this sense of uh, indigenous people saying enough and, and really um, – Deciding at the, at a certain point that they were not going to take it anymore, and and, um, and then the organization that follows from that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it is very. I, I think it certainly Nigan is the person who could speak to sure. the the you know the specifics. I, it, it's not strictly autobiographical, mm-hmm. um, but I think he's he's drawn 
heavily from sort of, you know, a he's created a character that he relates to a lot mm -hmm. and probably charts a similar sort of coming to awareness that he probably experienced. Mm -hmm, but sure. again, I, 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 I yeah, can't speak to that. Yeah, but, you, yeah. but, but speaking uh, but well, on that note, um, and I am going to try and get him uh, an interview with him here, um, well, could tell us a little bit about your background uh, as an illustrator in comics and just how you came to work on this project. Sure. I, uh, I sort of come from a fine arts background. I went to uh, university in printmaking here in Winnipeg, uh -huh. um, and I've worked at a printmaking facility since I graduated there for about the past 14 years, so primarily screen printing and uh -huh. stuff like that. Um, and it was actually, I mean, I've always read comics, and I kind of always wanted to try to do some, and I hadn't made it happen for myself, but I sort of just lucked out in that, um, I believe the... Uh, senior editor and publisher of Portage Main Press, of which uh, Highwater Books is an imprint. They yeah. came to the, the studio that I uh, work at and were buying some art, I think for their office, getting mm -hmm. it framed and such, and happened to ask the, uh, the person in our office whether they knew anybody who could draw a comic book. I think at the time they were doing a series of books um, titled uh, – uh, Tales from Big Spirit, I believe. Mm -hmm. I apologize if I got that wrong. Um, all written by David Robertson. And I think they, uh, they needed somebody sort of in a pinch to, to handle one of them. Mm -hmm. And my coworker suggested me as someone who might be able to do that. And so I spoke to them and we sort of, they gave me a chance. And I did one of those and it turned out okay, I think. Yeah, um, I, 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 guess I, good. I, I would say so. So this yeah, is, was, uh, is this so, your first comics effort? Oh no no so this this was this was back in 2013 this uh -huh. was a different series uh -huh. um oh, oh sorry did. okay and yeah so, right. you were talking about an, another series sure go on yeah so and so since then i've done a couple a couple sort of 30 page stories for oh, them and then when the opportunity for them to do this anthology um this place uh came up they were certainly looking for a bunch of different people to to illustrate the scripts they were having written and so i guess because i'd done stuff with them before they offered it to me i think they thought that my style might also suit uh, some of the subject matter, like something a little more real world mm -hmm. versus uh, cartoony, I guess. Um, but yeah, it sort of just came together like that. And yeah, just uh, right, right time, right place, I guess, for me. Well, it's a, as I said before, it's a very charming story as the, uh, the young man sort of uh, gets a, a consciousness raising um, lesson by his, his mother, uh, as well as... Um, uh, the young woman he meets, and and and, uh, and I, I really appreciate how it, it really ends with him, you know, in the process of, I guess, ed educating his own daughter uh, about the struggle of struggles of indigenous people. Yeah, it you know it. Uh, I guess I sort of take it all for granted now. When I got the script, they just sort of you know dive into it and start trying to envision how the characters will look and get a feel for what, what the writer was going for. And I guess in the course of doing that, you sort of take for granted their arcs and stuff, but it, it, it probably speaks to the strength of the script that I had a pretty, not easy, but like an enjoyable time working on it. You know, all these characters felt, you know, in spite of it being a relatively short story, they all seemed pretty well drawn. And uh, I think, uh, compared to some of the other stories in the book, because they happened in the past, there was actually a lot of photographic and video reference mm -hmm. for this period of time. These are all sort of events that really happened, and you know you can find footage of it. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I think that sort of, for me, helped make it feel a little more real. You know, like I can, I could go and look at sure. how, it, how, how it actually looked. Um, and, and I think that certainly helped me uh, in terms of, you know, envisioning the characters and trying to make them feel fully formed. Yeah, yeah, and and, see, and 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 as you mentioned, you know, you the the period uh, references there, the uh, the t-shirts and all that, all of this brings it uh, brings it to life. And um, uh, though certainly, I think the the behavior of the teenager um, uh, is sort of timeless. <laughs> yeah, no, it uh, definitely can definitely relate to that sort of uh, disaffected state a little bit, and sort of yeah, uh, getting your head straight and. Uh, opening up your eyes yeah 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 uh and and well and i will say just for myself as obviously as a non-indigenous person uh but um i mean this entire book i one of the delights of it really is really to learn i I certainly have some broad understanding of the struggles that native american native americans face here in the states um and really um i mean reading about canada i mean it's it's become all of a piece but uh, so it's been very educational for me just you know, and for myself as well, I should mention that I'm, I'm not actually indigenous myself. Yeah. Yes, um, you did mention it, so sure. Mm-hmm. Did I? Okay. Um, and yeah, so I mean, even just flipping through the book now, like I, I haven't actually read the entire anthology, but I'm like I'm certainly learning about a lot of this yeah. as I've worked on it, and mm-hmm. it's, it certainly helped me to open my eyes to what has been going on around me, and that, you know, certainly earlier in my life, I just was sure. ignorant of. Sure. You know. So, hey, look, Andrew, this is great. It's really uh, – thanks so much for talking uh, talking to me about it, and good luck on the book. Oh, thanks. My pleasure. You bet.